turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. One of the favorite passages in Scripture for pastors to preach out of, Daniel 6. And if you teach children, probably one of your favorites as well. Well, in the year 1660, John Bunyan pastored in Bedford, England. He had just gotten remarried, and he had four children. One was blind, and he loved to sit on the ground in his little home and play with her. His wife had just gotten pregnant, and so she was now expecting a baby. So life seemed pretty good for him. They met in this little chapels, little church in town. But the politics in England had changed. King Charles II was invited back from France, and he was now the king of England. And he was determined to wipe out all non-Anglican, all non-established, all non-government-approved churches. He brutally executed 33 non-conformists, that's those who are congregational, Baptistic type of people, leaders. King Charles II declared it illegal to preach if you don't have a license from the government. He demanded all pastors conform to the doctrines and practices of the state church. And so, John Bunyan's little church was kicked out of its building. They had to resort to meeting in people's homes or in barns, and so... John with his wife Elizabeth and their four children and their little church would gather in a barn and they would sing praises to God. John also would go and preach in other churches. Many pastors resigned if they weren't state approved. Some conformed and compromised and agreed to the king's demands. But John would not agree. He was not, he was a nonconformist, he was a congregational type of pastor. He was not approved by the state to preach, but he believed is what God had called him to do. And God's word had called him as the pastor of his church to preach, and the state could not tell him not to do so. One night he went to preach for another church. It was a humid English summer night. It was dark outside. They went to the woods in this little church. They gathered in a clearing. Everyone had lanterns. John came on horseback and got off the horse and walked into the woods, into this lit area. One of the men came up to John and said, the magistrate in the area has actually put a warrant out for your arrest. So if you preach to our little group tonight, he's probably going to come and arrest you. So John had a decision to make. Should he walk into this group and open his Bible and declare the gospel and preach? Or should he go home and be safe? And as he prayed, he was convinced that this was what God had called him to do. So he stepped into that group of people, prayed, opened his Bible, and he began to preach. And sure enough, in the middle of his preaching, soldiers rushed in. They arrested John Bunyan for preaching the gospel. He was put in jail. And, And the magistrate said that he could be released if he just promised not to preach anymore. His wife was pregnant This was a lot of stress upon her, so much stress that she actually went to preterm labor and they lost the baby. He had these four little children at home. Back then, you didn't have government assistance, okay? So how are you going to take care of four children? But he decided to keep to his convictions 
and he stayed in jail for 12 years. He could have got out at any time he wanted to, but he was convinced that God had called him to preach the gospel and he could not go against his biblical convictions. And both John and his wife, they stayed faithful to God when she heard the news and she was late at night and her little ones were in bed. Someone banged on the door and a biography says that she said this, God will take care of us. Jesus is enough. He is our treasure. In that cell, John found a little uh, piece of rock on the ground. And this is what he wrote on the wall of that cell. Here I lie waiting the goodwill of God to do with me as he pleases. Even when they have done their worst, we know that all things work together for good for them who love God. Here John and his wife Elizabeth, they trusted in the faithfulness of God. And John Bunyan reminds me a lot of the man of God in our text today, and that is Daniel. Daniel had faith in God's faithfulness. Last week, we started this passage, and we only made it halfway through. Two points, but we have two more today. If you look down in Daniel chapter 6, verse 6, you can see where it, it speaks about Daniel's faith. At the end of verse 6, it says that Daniel was faithful. If you look down in verse 23, at the very end of the verse, you can see the Bible says, Daniel trusted his God. He had faith in his God. Both those words are the same Aramaic words, which are similar to the Hebrew word aman or amen. That's certain. That's sure. That's something we can trust. And that was the word faithful. So Daniel, he had faith. He had amen in his faithful and his faithful God. And remember, Daniel chapter 6 is not about how amazing Daniel is. Daniel chapter 6 is about how faithful God is. God is faithful. The faithfulness of God is the certainty that God will act according to his character and will fulfill what he promises. And Daniel believed in the faithfulness of God as much as he believed in the rising of the sun. In fact, Daniel would have had a copy of Lamentations, which was written by Jeremiah, the prophet, a contemporary in his day. And this is what, this is what Jeremiah wrote. Yet I call this to mind. Here's what I remember. And therefore I have hope because the Lord's faithful love, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And when you see the sun rise every morning, you know what you should remember? God is faithful. I mean, here we're doing this space VBS. So I've been doing a lot of reading about space and it's pretty fun to read about some of that stuff. You know, trying to come up with all the puns this week. Some of those just come better if they're on the fly. But anyways, but just consider God's faithfulness to allow this, this earth to rotate and to orbit around the sun. I mean, the earth is rotating every 24 hours at a 23-degree tilt, spinning at over 1,000 miles per hour, suspended by gravitational forces around the sun. And it orbits at 93 million miles from the sun, and it's consistent. It doesn't change. Like, if we were a little closer, we would roast. If it's a little farther away, we would freeze. But God is faithful every day to allow this earth to, 
to rotate, to orbit around the sun. So we see the sun rise every day. And when we see the sun rise, we should remember that there's a lot more that goes into it than just a little ball out there, right? God is faithful to allow all that to happen. And it should remind us that God is faithful to do what he promises in his word. And so Daniel, he trusted in this faithful God. Your every morning, your, your mercies are new. Great is your faithfulness. So last week we saw that because God is faithful, you can trust him. You can trust God by faithfully serving him. It was no accident Daniel was taken as a captive at age 15. It was no accident in Daniel 6 that he's in the court of this Medo-Persian king. God placed him there. God was faithful throughout his life, and he was faithful to him at this moment. And Daniel faithfully served God. So look at verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Daniel 6, 1 says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Daniel was exalted to these high positions of influence. And with that came those who schemed to destroy him. So our second point was God is faithful so we can trust him in dependent prayer. And that's what Daniel did. He went to his knees in prayer. King Darius favored Daniel because he was faithful within his responsibilities and his position of authority. The king intended to promote him over the entire kingdom, which made these men envious of Daniel, especially when they found out that he was going to oversee them. Maybe they wanted that position for themselves. So they had a plan to get rid of Daniel. They gathered in secret and they realized that they couldn't accuse Daniel of any wrong in regard to his job. He, he, he wouldn't be found to be lazy or they couldn't accuse him of dereliction of duty. The only way they could get rid of him is if they found reason for him to go against the king. Now, how do you find someone to be guilty of something when they have high integrity? Well, Daniel had one major flaw. If they could, if they could make him make a choice between obeying the king or obeying God, then Daniel will be forced to disobey the king and be found guilty of treason. So look in verse 5. The Bible says, These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement. For the king said to him, O King Darius, for the king, I'm sorry, to the king, And said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All these high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes 
petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, king, I keep saying Darius, Darius, I don't really know if it really matters. Let's go with Darius. Darius signed the document and injunction. So they tricked the king. They lied to him. They pretended like everybody wanted this document signed. Well, they didn't include Daniel in that. And so they tricked the king to sign this. And it was to sign the death warrant, therefore, for Daniel. And these sinners, they schemed against Daniel. And how did Daniel, therefore, respond? Well, he trusted God would be faithful to him. And so he got on his knees. In verse 10, the Bible says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, so he knew that this was going to go against him, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he made a choice here. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. And so we presume here he prayed out loud. Somehow they were spying in on him, and they found out that he had broken the law of the land. And so here, Daniel trusted God through dependent prayer. That was where we left off last week. And this week, we're going to look at the next two points. Because God is faithful, you can trust God with a word-convinced conscience. With a word-convinced Convinced conscience. The co-workers of Daniel and his subordinates knew they could not convict him of wrongdoing in regard to his job. So they found a way to put his, his spiritual convictions in conflict with the law of the land. And their aim was to remove him from his job, to find him guilty so that they could have their power back. And their deceptive plan worked. The king signed that law As the law of the land, it made it illegal for anyone to pray to anyone or any god or any idol except for the king himself. And those who broke that law would have what happened? They would be thrown into the den of lions. And now think about that. Imagine actually the reality of that. I mean, imagine Daniel walking into his home. And if he kneels down before this window and he prays out loud, think of actually what he knows will happen to him. There's a den of hungry lions. He will be thrown into it or lowered down into it. And what will happen to him, he'll be eaten alive. Right? I mean, if, if you knew that you had a choice to make and the choice meant that you'd be eaten alive by lions, what would your choice be? Look at verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. He's he's innocent here. He doesn't know what's going on. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel... Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, kind of hear the snide comment there, one of the outcasts, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day 
Now, were there accusations here against Daniel true? Well, the answer is yes and no. First of all, the first accusation was not true. Did Daniel pay no attention to the king like they accused him in verse 13? Other translations say it like this, read like this. Daniel has ignored you. Another reads like this, Daniel has not regarded you. So, so their accusation was that he was dishonoring the king. Actually, he, it was an affront to the king. Well, was that true? No, that wasn't true. I mean, Daniel's testimony, his life showed that he actually was a person who honored his authorities. Daniel's reputation demonstrated that his actions were not directed towards the king. In fact, he was the most faithful of them all. So that accusation was not true. The second one, though, was true. The second accusation was that he did not have any regard for the injunction you have signed. Was that true? Absolutely. He disobeyed the law. So what's the problem here? What's going on here? Here You have Daniel who actually desires to obey his authority, but yet he also disobeys the law of the land. Remember, Daniel was a man who believed that God had appointed authorities over him, and therefore Daniel should honor those authorities. Daniel believed that God, the high God, is the one who appoints authorities, and he gives them the right to exercise that authority over particular groups of people within certain limitations. And he believed the king was one of those. It's important to remember that before we go into this part about defying the law of the land and defying what the injunction was. God gives what we know as jurisdictional authority. That means God appoints authorities and gives them jurisdiction over a particular group of people with prescribed limitations. We know what jurisdiction is, right? I mean, we live in California. There's some other states, Arizona, Nevada. We pass laws in California. We don't expect people in, Cal- in, in Arizona to abide by them, although some of you wish that you had their laws in our land, right? We live in Ventura County, and Los Angeles County is right over the hill here. When they pass laws, do we have to obey their laws? One of their laws, not yet, okay. One of their laws, never, no, right? We don't have, we're not a part of that jurisdiction. One of their laws, I think, was yesterday that you have to wear masks, is that right? Right? Is that true in Ventura County? Not yet. There you go. There's the not yet, right? But the point is, we understand that there are certain places that have jurisdiction. And the idea of jurisdiction is that it's the right of an authority to rule, but only within predetermined boundaries. This is such an important point for us to understand when we think about delegated authority. God has delegated authority. They have jurisdiction, and they have responsibilities within that jurisdiction, but they also have limitations. There's limitations of their authority. We teach children to obey authority. Is that a good thing to teach children to obey authority? Absolutely. But I think we must qualify it like this. We really should teach our children to obey authorities to whom or to, I should say this, uh, we should teach our children to obey authorities who have jurisdiction over them and only within the God-given boundaries. Let me say that one more time because I kind of messed it up. We should teach our children to obey authorities who have jurisdiction over them and only within those God-given boundaries. In other words, we should ask three questions. Who are our authorities? 
If someone's not your authority, should you obey that person in that area? No. What are their responsibilities within that jurisdiction? So if they do follow, if I do follow under their authority, what are their responsibilities? If I'm an authority, what are my responsibilities? And then what are the limitations to that? In other words, what's the jurisdiction they have? And so we believe that God appoints authorities. He gives them a jurisdiction. They have responsibilities within that, but they also have limitations as well. And it's so important for us to understand this. Sometimes I've talked to people about church and how the church talks about authority. And some people get really bothered by the fact that, the, that we teach children and we teach the church in general to obey authorities. And I think that's the confusion we even face this past year with churches and governments. And there's a lot of confusion on what, what can the church, what can the government tell the church to do? What can it not tell the church to do? And so it's important to understand these principles right here. So just think through a couple of these with me. First of all, remember that God is the high authority, right? There's no authority except from God. Those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So we we recognize this verse right here teaches us that God puts authorities in place. If you disobey the authorities over you, then you're disobeying God. So that's very serious. We must consider that. And so this is what the Word of God teaches. But also authorities have responsibilities. Where do you find the responsibilities for authorities? Like, how do we know what responsibilities authorities should have and shouldn't have? Well, we look where? We look into God's word. God's word tells us who our authorities are, tells us what their responsibilities are, and it tells us what the limitations to those authorities are. That's why it's so important for us to base our convictions upon God's word. For Daniel, his conviction to pray wasn't just a personal preface. It wasn't like, well, I think this is probably what I should do. Actually, you can look this up. You don't have to do that right now, maybe later. But write this down. 1 Kings 8, 48 through 52. 1 Kings 8, 48 through 52. Solomon, he foresees the people rebelling and going into exile. So he commands future exiles to pray toward Jerusalem. Well, that's what Daniel was doing here. So what Daniel was doing, he was living by a biblical conviction. Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 29, he commands the people, commands the exiles in Babylon, commands them to pray. So Daniel's, Daniel's conviction to pray, and even to pray towards Jerusalem, maybe even with the, with the windows open, was a biblical conviction he had. And the point is that Daniel prayed in that room because his conscience was convinced by the word of God. Again, this is not something where we say, well, whatever you feel or whatever you want to do and Your convictions don't come from your feelings. Your convictions don't come from yourself. They should come from God's word. So that's why it's imperative that we as Christians understand what the Bible teaches. What does the Bible say? Who are our authorities? What does the Bible say are the responsibilities of authorities? What are their limitations that they have? And so just just think through a couple of these. So first of all, you have God who's the ultimate authority. He appoints authorities. The foundation for authorities is found in the word of God their responsibilities, their limitations. So let's think about just the government real quick here. What does the Bible say the responsibilities of our government are? Well, first of all, who are our authorities in in regard to the government? Well, we have our political officials. We prayed for Joe Biden today. He's our president. So we kind of know that one, right? I think that includes police. That includes the military as well. This is part of our, our government. What are their responsibilities according to God? Well, first, 
Peter 2.14 says that the government is there to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. So it's the government's job to keep peace, to punish evildoers. So we have, we have courts, we have police, we have a military that protects us from those who would come in to do evil to us. It's the job of the government to ensure citizens do good or able to do good and can live in a responsible way. So these are our authorities, and they have limitations over us. Think about this one. Who has the authority over your body? Right? Who has the authority over your body? Well, God does. Like, he's the creator, so he has absolute right to tell you what to do because he's God. In fact, the Bible says he's given you a body, and you are to use that body for the glory of God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Every person will stand before God and they will have to answer for the things that they did in their body. And so you are accountable to God. But really, the truth is you have jurisdiction over your body. How about this? Who has jurisdiction over souls, over doctrine, over the worship of God? Well, the Bible says the church does, led by the elders. 1 Peter 5, 2, elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So the elders are to teach the truth. The elders are to care for your souls. We're to, we're to guard doctrine. The church is to teach one another. So that God has given that responsibility to the church through the leadership of elders. How about for parenting? Who is in charge of parenting? Who has jurisdiction over raising children? Ephesians 6, 4, parents are to bring them up in the nurture and the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So parents have responsibility over authority. And let me just pause here to say, let's remember that these authorities, and then we could list some other ones as well, but these authorities are appointed by God. So if we defy the government, if we defy those who are over us in the home, if we defy the church, then we are ultimately disobeying and dishonoring God. This is important for children, youth, remember? Like when you roll your eyes at your mom or you grumble back to her or your dad, you're actually dishonoring God at that moment. You're sinning against God because God appointed them as your authorities. And it's important for us to remember as adults when we think about people like Joe Biden, right? When, you, when, we, when you heard we were going to pray for him this morning, what did you think? Or you might even wanted to say some things out loud about him, <laughs> right? And we definitely should point out when people are doing things that are wrong and sinful, but there's a difference between that and honoring them as the authorities over us. When people say hateful things about the police or they trash public officials, we need to remember that you're speaking against God's appointed authorities, and therefore you're sinning against God if you speak against them in a way that dishonors them. So God has delegated authority to parents and to elders and to government officials, so we must honor them. But if they step outside of their jurisdiction, if they forbid you from obeying God in another area or command disobedience to God, then the Christian must, in faithfulness to God, disobey that authority. Let me say that one more time. If they step outside of their jurisdiction and forbid you to obey God in another area, or command disobedience to God, then the Christian must, in faithfulness to God, disobey that human authority. 
So each one of us has authorities, and those authorities have responsibilities, and they have limitations. So let's, let's just give a couple examples to help think through this, because this is the, the application part is the difficulty part, difficult part of this, isn't it? So does the government have jurisdiction over your body? Ooh. Well, let's, let's be careful before you answer out loud. Because actually it does in some areas, right? If you rob someone, right, they have jurisdiction to take your body and put it in jail. If, if you have no right to go into restricted areas like Area 51, is your body restricted from going somewhere? Absolutely. So they have some authority over your body in some areas. May the government force you or your child to have an abortion? No. How about, don't answer this one out loud, please. How about taking a shot? And I would say, no, the government is not sovereign over your body or your baby's body. They don't have a right. They don't have jurisdiction in that area. How about this? Does the government have jurisdiction over the home, within the home? Well, in some ways it does, right? If a child is being physically or sexually abused, then yes, their job is to punish the evildoers. They should take those people and put them in jail. And I would say this, if, if there's someone that is doing something to you that's illegal, then you need to call the police, like dial 911. You might say, well, they're, they're my authority. But if, if they're disobeying the authority that God has put up to, to punish that, then you need to call those authorities and tell them that, okay? And if you need help doing that, that's what the elders are here for. We'll definitely will help you do that and protect you in that way. But may the government tell you how to parent your child, May they say to you, your child can't be evangelized, your child can't be taught the word of God, or, or we think your child should be taught this, and we're going to make you do that. No, that's the job of the parents. And that, that might seem like a far-fetched idea that the government will restrict that. Oh, you can't teach the Bible, you can't evangelize. But actually, can I just tell you honestly, like, probably the majority of the world, that's what they experience right here. Like, if you're in a communist or Islamic society, they tell Christians, you can't evangelize other children in fact, in many of them, you can't even evangelize your own children. And so I think this is the reality, not only in the world, but I think this is the path our country is going right down. And, and that's why it's so terrible, the idea that, that it takes a village is such a bad idea, right? Or that really the idea is it takes a government, right? That's the idea. It's like it takes a government to raise children. Actually, it takes a family to raise children. <laughs> and there definitely should be assistance from other authorities and other groups, but they're responsibility to raise their children is the parent's responsibility. It's not the role of the government to do that. How about the church? Does the government have jurisdiction there? Does it? You probably should know this one by now. Well, in some areas, right? If there's an elder embezzling money, like he should go to jail. There's illegal activity happening on the property or within the church that should be something that goes to the police. As a counseling pastor in South Carolina, unfortunately, there were a number of times where I was in a counseling situation and I had to inform that person that because they were telling me about something that was illegal that happened, I had to go to the police and tell the police about it. So I'd give them a choice. I'd say, you can either go right now and tell the police or I'll give you 24 hours and I'll tell the police and I'll set a time. This is what's going to happen because the police are the authorities in those areas. But may the government tell us what to believe or how... We should worship. I mean, should the government be able to tell us that you can't sing in your church? Right? I mean, that's what the government told us this past year. Is that you can't sing in your church. Or, or you can't fellowship with people. You can't get together with people. 
No, the government doesn't have a right to tell us how to worship God. Can they say you can't preach? No, they don't have a right to do that. They don't have jurisdiction in that area. In John Bunyan's day, the king put many of these non-Anglican pastors in jail for preaching. 1,700 pastors, 1,700 pastors were fined, thrown out of their churches and homes. Some possessions were taken away, and many were put in prison because they would not back down. They were convinced they must preach the gospel. Sometimes you hear this word thrown around in our society. It's the word bigot. I don't know if you've ever been called a bigot or if you've heard that on TV. People say that person's a bigot. Charles Spurgeon commented that when evangelical Protestants were commanded to bow to the Catholic cross, that the Christians would not, many Christians would not. And so the persecutor would say, come on, bow to the cross. It's, it's, what is this a form? It's a piece of metal. What's the big deal? Bow to the cross. And the evangelical Christian would say, but by God, I won't. So they begin to call them by gods. Those who held to the biblical convictions were called by gods or bigots. And many of those by gods, many of those bigots were executed by burning at the stake. Nobody relishes that. Nobody wants to be called a bigot. No one wants to suffer like that. But, it, but if we're forbidden to obey Christ, then we must hold fast to our biblical convictions and faith that God will continue to be faithful. We must trust God with a word-convinced conscience. And then last, you can trust God as your Savior and your Lord. Because God is faithful, you can trust God as your Savior and your Lord. Daniel obeyed God, but he broke the law of the land. And now he had to face the consequences. And there was nothing that could save him. The king couldn't save him. He couldn't even save himself. Look in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. I mean, he didn't want Daniel to die. And set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. You can't change this king. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And so I want you to imagine this some type of dugout cave that they would have lowered him down into. There was some type of opening in the top of this, this den that had, could have a stone put over it, could be sealed. There were lions in there, and they usually would half-starve these lions so that when someone was lowered into it, they would put on a good show and eat them alive. Look at verse 17. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. So he, now even the heathen king is praying. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. I mean, he, he thought, certainly he's dead. And the king declared to Daniel, 
Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Notice the, the focus on rescue and on deliverance. Look in verse 14. Notice, he says, he, the word says, he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Verse 15, the, clean, the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Verse 20, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? The point is, the king is the most powerful one in the land. In fact, he's the most powerful one probably on the earth, and he couldn't deliver Daniel. In fact, Daniel couldn't even deliver himself. You don't see Daniel begging for his life. Isn't it interesting that you don't see that? But you don't see Daniel trying to get out of it. He's not saying, please, king, do something. He's not scheming. He's not screaming. He's not crying out in terror. Why is that? Like, why didn't Daniel say, please save me, someone? I'm so sorry, guys. You can be in charge. I'm 80 years old. Right? Why didn't he do that? Did he have a death wish? No, I don't think so. He had a strong faith in the faithfulness of God. Remember, Daniel knew when he got on his knees to pray that his fate was set. When he bent on his knees in front of that window, he was delivering himself over to death at the mouth of lions, but also delivering himself up to the will of God. Because he believed that God was faithful. And if he trusted in God's faithfulness, God would rescue And was God able to rescue him? Is God able to rescue him? Well, the answer, as we know, is yes. He did. He is able. But even if Daniel was eaten alive, would God have rescued him? And the answer is yes, right? God was able to deliver him from death, physical death, because God was able to deliver Daniel from something far worse than physical death. And that's eternal death. That's eternal separation from God. Daniel didn't die here, but he eventually died, right? How do we know that? Well, he's not walking on the earth now. So at some point he died. But Daniel had a faith that God wouldn't just save his life then, but God would save his life after even his physical death. Daniel believed God was able to save his life on earth only because he believed God had the power over death. See, there's something far worse than your body dying. And if you were to imagine being thrown to lions, you might think, oh, that's really bad. That's really terrible. Can you imagine them crunching my body? Oh, that's a... Honestly, that's not that bad. It goes over you know, pretty quickly. <laughs> maybe, maybe it could drag out a little bit. But there's something far worse after that. And that's eternal separation from God. On Friday, we got a, a text from... Uh, a friend, and then I got a phone call about um, a guy that we ministered to in South Carolina who's a little younger than myself. He has a couple children. He has a wife, and uh, he passed away in the hospital. It was very tragic. Death is going to happen to all of us. All of us, whether it be at the mouth of lions, whether it be in the hospital, we're all going to die at some point. And, And death, the physical death, isn't what we fear If you're without Christ, what you should fear is what comes after. You see, Daniel believed that there were two destinations. He believed either you're going to be with God 
any, with, eternal, with, with eternal life, you're going to be eternally with God, have eternal life, or you're going to be separated from God forever. And you say, well, Pastor Ben, how do you know that? Would you just flip real quickly over with me to Daniel chapter 12? Daniel wrote that there are two places each person goes. Those who die and awake in eternal life, those who die and awake in the shame of eternal condemnation. Look at verse 1 of Daniel 12. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And then listen to this, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so according to the theology of Daniel and also what the Bible teaches in other places, there are two destinations for every person after they die. Either you're going to have eternal life with God or eternal condemnation, eternal shame. Jesus taught the same thing. Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But then there's other people who do not obey, who do not believe in the Son, and they shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. You see, do you realize there's only really two religions in this world? There's the religion of self, those who trust themselves, those who think that they can do something maybe to get to God or they can do enough religious good deeds or maybe they follow some kind of religious path. Maybe they just don't care about God and they just live for themselves. And there's those who trust in Jesus alone to save. And those who trust in Jesus, the Bible says, have, have eternal life. Daniel was a man who trusted in the high God, in the living God to save him. The king couldn't save him. He couldn't even save himself. And so look at verse 21. The Bible says, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I'm sorry, we're back in Daniel chapter 6. This is the best part, so you've got to be there for this part. <laughs> Daniel six twenty-one. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. And shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Now, I want you to know Daniel was not saying he's sinless. He was speaking in regard to defying the king. Dishonoring the king. He's saying, listen, I, I was faithful to you. Like, this proves it, right? God even testified. I'm testifying now that, that God showed that I was not wrong in what I did. I didn't die for my crimes because I didn't really commit a crime. But notice verse 21. Who was it that saved him? It was God who saved him. And he did it by sending an angel. Now just think about this. Who is this angel right here? I mean, is this the same angel that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had walking in the fiery furnace with them? Is this the same angel? Is this the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh? Is this Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Godhead? Listen to this. Psalm 34, 7 says this. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him, and he delivers them. 
I wonder if that verse was on, was on Daniel's mind. Who is the angel of the Lord? Well, that is the Christophany. It's, a, it's Jesus pre-incarnate. Now, we don't know if this was just an angel God sent or if this actually was Jesus Christ himself pre-incarnate with, with Daniel in that lion's den. I'm, honestly, it's within the character, it's within the work of Christ to save people, right? So I would imagine that this is probably Jesus, but again, I can't be dogmatic about it. But God saved, saved Daniel. Look at verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad He went from crying in terror to jumping for joy and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Why is that? What does it say at the end of verse 23? Why was it that he was saved? It was his integrity, right? It was his good works. Is that what it says? Nope. What's it say? Because he had trusted in his God. Because he had Amon, he trusted in the certainty of God. He had faith in his God. And that's the answer for Daniel. That's why he was saved. It's the answer for anyone. John 3.36, Jesus says that the reason a person is saved and has eternal life is because of what? Whoever believes. And the son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey, whoever does not respond in obedience to the gospel and believe shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. What determines your destination depends upon who you trust. What determines your destination depends on whom you trust. And what makes the difference? If you're trusting in God through Christ or you're trusting in yourself. And really the choice for us today is, is what path you take. Jesus presents two paths here. Daniel presents two paths here. You have the choice of following faith in yourself. Faith in yourself includes atheists, right? They don't want God in their life, so they're going to live however they want to because they don't believe God is real. Agnostics. The apathetic who don't really care, so they just live for themselves. The rebellious who shake their fist at God. The hypocrites. The legalists who try to be good enough for God. The proud, the self-righteous. Includes anyone who's in a self-based religion. You know, self-based religion are those who who believe that they're going to do something for God to maybe either stay off his wrath or maybe earn favor from him. Includes Catholics, Mormons. Muslims, I mean, any other religion, right? That, that depends upon the self. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's through trusting in him, in Christ, and what he's done for you. It's not of yourself. Jesus is the only one who's lived a perfect life. Jesus is the only one who died for sin. He died in our place. He's the only one that's ever been resurrected. So he's the only one who can truly save us. And so our faith must be in Jesus Christ. And so I guess the question I would ask each one of us this morning, maybe you're visiting with us, maybe you're listening online, maybe you've been here for a long time. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? So look at verse 23, the very end of the verse. Why did God save him? 
Not just his life on that earth, but ultimately why was God faithful to bring him into his presence? Because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously, or literally, they, they, with their words, devoured Daniel. They had maliciously accused Daniel, were brought and cast into the den of lions. So they devoured with their words, and now God returned that upon their own head. They, their children, and their wives, which I think is a good lesson that your sin actually affects other people. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones. You know what's interesting? That God was faithful even to these sinners. He was faithful to punish their sin. God will do what he promises. Then notice God's faithfulness as we end here. God's faithfulness put on display. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. So here's a letter that goes out. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall never end. He delivers and rescues He works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. King Charles II tried to stop the mouth of John Bunyan, didn't he? Put him in prison, thought that would shut him up. Satan came against him for those 12 years. The people of England came against him. Some did not support him. Some of his friends even tried to convince him to change his mind. But he continued to trust in God because he believed God was faithful. He believed in the end, God always wins. Today, John Bunyan stands in the presence of Christ because he believed in the faithfulness of God. Many of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress. How many many have read The Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, so there you go. A lot of people in here. John Bunyan wrote that in his time in jail. It's been translated in over 200 languages. It's never gone out of print. Many believe it's the second most influential English book, second to the Bible. That's pretty amazing. John Bunyan trusted the faithfulness of God. And isn't it amazing how God won in the end? He defeated Satan. The king of England couldn't shut him up. He's still speaking today. It's pretty amazing to think about. God is faithful. We can trust him. We can trust him by faithfully serving him. We can trust him in prayer. We can trust him with a word-convinced conscience. We can trust him as our Lord and our Savior. Are you trusting the faithfulness of God? Let's pray. As we bow in prayer, let me encourage you to trust the Lord right now in dependent prayer. Consider his faithfulness to you and call out to him. Maybe you're a a person in here and throughout this message, you've been thinking to yourself that I'm not a person who's trusting in God. Maybe you're even wondering, maybe maybe I'm a person who lives a life for self and I trust myself. I would invite you this morning right now in your seat, call upon him. Turn from your sin, turn from faith in yourself, 
or maybe whatever religious tradition you're a part of, and turn to Jesus and trust in him to save your soul. Let's pray.